All right, good morning. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. That's right, I didn't say Luke. Turn to Nehemiah, chapter 1. Uh, we're going to take a break from Luke till, uh, till the end of July. Got a couple of fun things we're going to do. Nehemiah, some different things. We've got vacation, Bible schools, you know, uh, peppered in there. So it's going to be a, a fun little summer series, kind of a little break. And then, but we hit uh, Luke chapter 22 in August, and we will put our shoulder down, and we'll, be, we'll finish Luke uh, by the time we get to the Advent se- uh, season. So uh, Nehemiah chapter 1. Before we jump into that, in 1985, after the Coke brand was getting hammered by the Pepsi Taste Challenge commercial campaign, y'all remember that? In the 80s, there was this, uh, Pepsi has always kind of been the, the red-headed stepchild to the Coke brand, you know, and so it's always kind of, uh, kind of been that guy. But in the 1980s, there was this commercial series that it was basically the Pepsi Taste Challenge. And so they would go to people, they would go to people and they would blindfold them and they would have them just taste, you know, which one they liked better. And overwhelmingly, at least according to the commercial, it was people chose Pepsi over Coke. If you looked at them, they always chose Coke, but if you tasted, they chose Pepsi. Anyway, this commercial campaign was extremely successful and it started messing with Coke's profits. And so Coke did the unthinkable. They changed their formula. They changed their formula and launched this massive campaign called New Coke. Now, it was a Coke. People lost their ever-loving minds, okay? So for some of y'all who are younger and you, you weren't born back then or you were little babies, you don't understand, but people were going crazy over this idea that Coke changed their formula. I mean, people were writing letters. They were on TV talking about it. People were picketing and boycotting Coca-Cola over new Coke. People were burdened for a Coke. Now, I was going over this sermon and shared the title, Bold Burden, and all just said, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What's a bold burden? And at the time, I couldn't think of a way to explain that. And so I was like, well, maybe it doesn't make sense, and I've just messed up my entire sermon. But then I started thinking about, there are burdens, like, for instance, what Coke tastes like. And then there are bold burdens. There are burdens like, what does Coke taste like? And that burden... Even, no no matter where it lands, no matter what ends up happening, nothing really is going to change. Well, I'm not going to drink Coke anymore. Okay, you're healthier, all right, whatever. I mean, you know, that burden really didn't affect you that much. But then there are other burdens, there are other burdens that, that affect you to your core that actually will affect not only your livelihood, but actually could cost you your life. That is a bold burden. This series called Live Boldly, I believe, represents a formula for us to bring revival to our lives. Bring the spirit of revival not only to our lives, but to our town and maybe even our country. So here we are in the book of Nehemiah, starting with verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year as I was in Susa, the citadel 
that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and mourned for days. I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you have commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great love and your power, by your great power and your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for this time we have together today. And I pray for those who are watching online and those who are in person, God, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that we may hear you, that we may see you, that we may be changed and experience you in a real and powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's do a little bit of context here. Let's back this up a little bit, kind of explain what's going on. Uh, so you heard this prayer of Nehemiah talk about that we have sinned against you and God has kind of uh, spread us apart, scattered us. And so this is a direct relation, direct callback to the book of Deuteronomy. In the, God warned the Jewish people in Deuteronomy that if they were not faithful, he would allow them to be conquered. And then he echoed that warning to Solomon. And so the country... Fractured into two kingdoms, there is the northern kingdom, Israel, and then the southern kingdom comprising of Judah and Benjamin. The country is actually absorbed by the Assyrians to the north and the Babylonians and the Persians to the south. The Jewish people were captured, enslaved, and scattered. The remnant were those who were left behind. These guys weren't exactly the best of the best. These guys were, imagine that you are being conquered as a people and as a conquered people you're being uh, kind of sold or, or, or put into slavery. And so you're like, all right, all right, all right Joseph, you come over here. All right, you're, you're going to work over here. Uh, all right, uh, Benjamin, you come over here. Okay, Joel, eh, nah, you can stick around. He, they, they, they weren't the best. They weren't the brightest. They weren't the strongest. They weren't the... The, the, the most affluent, they were the ones that were left behind, the remnant. And so these guys were the ones left to basically contend with the remains 
of Jerusalem. Now Nehemiah, he was a captor, and now he is a servant in the king, uh, in the court of King Artaxerxes I. And he came across from boys from the old neighborhood, and they filled him in on the homeland. And, and they said, listen, it's bad, man. It's bad. Those people who are left behind, the wall is destroyed, the gates are on fire, they are, they are, they are troubled, and there is no pride. And so this is, the, this is the backdrop that Nehemiah hears this. This is the backdrop of, of, of this story. And so Nehemiah hears this and he is overwhelmed. And so the next three chapters, three to four chapters, what we're going to do is kind of look at the book of Nehemiah, look at this, the, this scripture, and see if there aren't any transferable principles that we can take from Nehemiah's life and say, okay, how can we take some of these transferable principles and apply them to not only us, but to our church. How can we develop a spirit of revival in us and in our people? And so the first step is we have to have a bold burden. We have to have a burden. We have to have a burden uh, that, that, that comes from the Lord. When, when Nehemiah heard this, he didn't say, man, that's bummer. That's tough, man. You know, kind of like if you moved away from your, from your hometown for a long time and you hear that, that, that something happened in your hometown. It's like, man, that's tough. Hate that. that. That's how most people would probably respond, but Nehemiah didn't respond that way. He didn't say, oh, man, that's tough. That's, that's, that's tough times. He, he, he ached. He, he said that he sat right there and he began to weep. And he continued to weep and he began to mourn, continued to mourn for days. And so the three steps that we need to, to, to develop to get a bold to, to develop or, or to attain a bold burden is the first thing we must have a burden for his people nehemiah immediately felt a burden for those people those remnant that were stuck there he didn't have a burden for the bro broken wall he didn't have a burden for the burnt city gates he had a burden for the people that were left behind the people that were were destroyed emotionally spiritually physically he had a burden for those people, that remnant that was there with, with no hope. He felt a burden for those people. Nehemiah not only heard about the need, he felt the need. There's a difference between hearing of a need and feeling the need. There's a difference between a hashtag and a cause. He wept, he mourned, he fasted, fasted and he prayed. He prayed for days about what he had heard. He just couldn't put it out of his mind. God used that burden for the basis for action. And maybe you're wondering, the, 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 the needs are so many and so great, I can't respond to them all. How do I discern which particular need gets me, what God wants me to get involved with? Could it be homelessness? Could it be, uh, could, could it, could it be you know, uh, social justice, dealing with racism? Could it be... You know, dealing with the, the atrocities in Ukraine. Could it be, you know, because of the, the situation with the Roe versus Wade being overturned. And now, and, and I put this on Facebook. And, and by the way, I didn't say this in the 9 o'clock service. And, and I, we're not doing a sermon on abortion today. Please understand that. But I did put on Facebook. If you're not on Facebook, praise God, you're awesome. But I did put on Facebook yesterday about how to kind of address this on social media right now man everybody is hot 
If you're pro-abortion, you are furious. If you're pro-life, you're celebrating and you're doing, you know, uh, cartwheels. And so everybody is on their extremes when it comes to emotions. So you know what? You're not going to convince anybody of anything right now, okay? Let's just say that. But secondly, as a church, we can celebrate for a minute but it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the, the, you know, you, you, you've seen those dogs that run after the car down the street. It's kind of like the, the Rottweiler that catches the car. Uh-oh, now what? Because the church, we can't just celebrate, yes, praise God, no more abortion. What are we going to do with the thousands of young ladies, the thousands of women who thought that abortion was their only way out? We as a church have got to be the leaders we mess, we, we mm, all right. We fail all the time on this. We wait. We don't act. And when the world acts, then we complain about it. The church needs to be first. And so some of, God may be calling some of us, God may be calling some churches to step up and say, okay, now we got to provide some help. We got to do a better job for the, the foster care process, for the adoption process, for the, for, for the uh, uh, child care process. It shouldn't require, you know, a six-figure income to place your child in daycare. You know, and so we have got to do a good job as a church to lead the way. We've been fighting for the end of abortion for so long. Maybe someone's putting a burden for someone to say, all right, now we got to put some plans into action. But we can't do everything. You can't say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help Ukraine. I'm going to solve the abortion issue. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You can't do that. And so sometimes we see so many problems, we just shut down. Well, I can't do anything. So I'm just going to sit on my couch and watch Netflix and eat potato chips. You know? And so, so we, just, we, we just shut down. And so there's two thoughts. Number one, first, don't let the vastness of needs paralyze you. Don't let so much sin, so much struggle, so, much, so many problems keep you from doing something. Matthew 9, 36-38 says, Seeing the people, Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the, his harvest. So we need to pray, Lord, give me the eyes of Jesus to see the needs of people. Give me the heart of Jesus to feel compassion for them and raise up workers for the harvest to meet the overwhelming needs. Jesus is like, listen, there is a great big harvest and the workers are few. But there's going to be problems out there. There's, you're not, we're not going to solve everything as long as there is, is, is a fallen world that we live in, there's going to be problems. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be burdens. You can't do it all, but it shouldn't keep you from doing something. Secondly, don't commit yourself to something just because the need is there. Because the needs, as we said, are endless. You don't have to respond to all the world's needs. Some of you have this gift of help some of you have this this very sensitive nature to want to help everything 
and you can't. And it's going to hurt you. It's going to, it's going to drain you. You can't do everything. Pick something and go. Here's the problem when people try to do everything. Because there might be someone in here that's finally willing to release and say, you know what, I'm going to take that on. But because someone in here has control freak, control issues, you want to take on everything, now you have robbed that person of that opportunity. So one, don't be paralyzed, but two, don't feel like you have to take on everything. We have to have a burden for his people. First, the burden stem from a great need. Secondly, the burden is focused by seeing a great sin. Every issue that divides our culture, every issue that divides our country, every issue that divides humanity can be traced to sin. Everyone else. Every single issue we struggle with, if you peel it back, the root cause is sin. And so what we have got to do, we need to develop a burden for His people, but we have to also have a burden that's focused by seeing the great sin. If we start, if we start by putting Band-Aids on, on cancer, we're in trouble. We have to first address, address the issue. We have to first address the issue that is the soul, the sin that divides us. We also have to understand it's not just the sins of others. We also have to be aware of and confess our own sin. Nehemiah, when he was crying out to God, he's like, listen, I get it. I understand. According to your word, you said you were going to, to judge us and cast us and separate us. We, I get that. But Lord, forgive us. Forgive the people. Forgive your people. And then he says, forgive. Even my father and I have sinned. He took on that himself. He's like, it's not just my nation. It's not just our people that have sinned. I have sinned. When we pray for God to heal the sins of our lands, do we include ourselves? When you pray for God to heal those heathens, those sorry, sap-sucking sinners that you see on social media, when you say, Lord, help them, are you also including yourself? We were all sorry, sap-suckers in need of grace at one time ourselves. We were all broken at one point ourselves. We were all in need of grace ourselves. We have to be careful that we don't get so Christianized that we forget that we needed grace as well. Staying aware of your own sins keeps us humble before God so that we don't sit in judgment over them. We are sinners who have been shown mercy and now we go to other sinners and offer that same mercy. The burden is stemmed by the great need. It's focused by a great sin. But it's also lightened by seeing a great God. Nehemiah had attained a great position. He was cupbearer to the king. You know... If you got taken out of your hometown or whatever and you get a lot of uh, success, maybe you grew up poor and you grew up in a small town, but you move away and now you 
you do, you do well in your job and you have some success and you have some money, it's easy to forget where you came from. Nehemiah had, a, had attained a great position. But Nehemiah knew who he was. And more importantly, Nehemiah knew whose he was. He had a burden that stemmed from a great need. He had a burden that was focused by a great sin, but he had a burden that is lightened by a great God. He knew that God was in control. He knew that God could solve this issue. He knew that the strength of God, the power of God, could give him what he needed to accomplish his plan. And that leads us to this next step. The church must have a vision for his plans. In verse 11, it says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy to this man. Nehemiah had a plan to bring strength and pride back to his people. And then symbolically back to Jehovah God. They needed to build a wall. The wall was torn down. The gates weren't burnt. And so to him, he had a plan. He's like, I know what I'm going to do to bring pride symbolically and physically back to our people. I'm going to build the wall. It's a big problem. And he's like, what can I do? You know what? I can take care of the wall. Now... That, that, that's an important thing. Now, it's funny. I mentioned this in the 9 o'clock service. I did this service, this sermon, uh, similar sermon years ago. <laughs> it was like in the height of the Trump years. And it was like, um, this is a political wall statement, okay? <laughs> you know, that's right. It's in the Bible. See, we're supposed to build the wall. That's not what this is about. If you see that, if anyone tells you, see, it's in Nehemiah, we're supposed to build the wall. No, that's not what that's about, okay? So you, you take a newspaper and you pop them on the nose and you say, no. All right, so that's not what this is about. But anyway, so he saw a need, and he said, listen, the wall is torn down. I can bring it back up, and I can bring some pride back to our people. I can, I can help us. I can bring some, some strength and pride back to the remnant that was left behind. So he had a big problem. He said, what can I do? And he said, I can take care of the wall. And so we think about the burden that God's laying on your heart. You think about something big that's out there and something that God has just laid on your heart. Whatever it is, what can I do? There's a great quote by Arthur Ashe, tennis player from back in the 70s. He's, you know, three things. Number one, start where you are. You know, stop putting it off. Start, listen, right now, what can you do? Start where you are. Start a plan right now. Use what you have. You know, don't, well, if, if only I had this, if only I had that, then I can actually do something. Start where you are, use what you have, and just do what you can. Just do something. The, 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 the issue, so many problems don't get solved because we know that we can do something, but instead, since we can't do everything, we don't do anything. And so we have to understand, you, God's laying a burden on your heart, and He's going to give you what you need. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. He had access to resources. He was gifted. He's like, you know what? 
I don't know what to do about the fall of Jerusalem. I don't know what to do about the, the spiritual health of the people. I don't, but you know what? There's a wall that's torn down. And I think I can do something about that. So number one, we must have a burden for His people. Number two, we, the church must have a vision for His plans. Number three, the church must have a commitment to His purpose. Nehemiah notes that he was cupbearer to the king. A cupbearer was a high position. It seems like it's not that big a deal. A cupbearer, you know, basically in, its, in, it, in the most simplest form, the cupbearer basically gets the wine from the kitchen and they taste the wine to make sure that it's not poison. You don't die. So it's kind of, a, kind of a big deal, but it's more than that. It, 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 it was actually much more of a, of a position than that. It was actually a high position in the court. He would have been, you know, typically the person chosen for this job would have been handsome. He would have been well-trained in etiquette. He would have been friendly. Uh, he, he would have been able to lend an ear and give an advice to the king. He would have enjoyed closest access to the king. He was a highly trusted man. I was thinking about this. Uh, I was trying to think of what, what is a, 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 a similar situation, and I thought, uh, uh, how many women or men whose women whose wives made them watch Downton Abbey? If you've ever seen that, um, and, and men, you can say my wife made me watch it. That's okay. And so, if you've ever seen that, you know the the, the head butler, you know, had access to the master of the house, and and this is kind of like that guy is kind of like a head butler. He was he was part of the court to be sure, but he had access. He had he had the ear of the king. Early documents also reveal that a cupbearer could be the keeper of the royal signet. It could be in charge of the administration of the accounts. It could even serve as second hand to the king. So the church must have a commitment to the purpose. The reason I bring that up with this, this point is Nehemiah, a cupbearer to the king, he had a lot to lose. Because he had the ear of the king... But to go to the king and to request anything was audacious. It was not done. It was uncouth. And not only could he be imprisoned for it, he could be killed for it. And so when he says, Lord, please have mercy. In verse 11, give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. The man that he's referring to as the king. He is willing to give up everything to accomplish what, to accomplish that which what God laid on his heart. He's willing to give it all up. The position, his freedom, possibly even his life. To truly be burdened means that we are willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to accomplish the vision. A bold burden requires commitment far beyond the moment. It requires more than a hashtag. It requires commitment to the purpose. I want to challenge all of us today. I was looking through some of the old journals before we started Live Oak Church. And I would drive through John's Island I'd drive through the neighborhoods. I would 
Just be praying for the people. I'd be praying, Lord, allow us to have a small group in this community and allow us to have a small group in this community. And I'd just be praying for the people as I drove by. I had a burden for this island. I had a burden for the people here. And, and as, you, as time goes on, it's easy for the burden of the people to be replaced with stuff and busyness. It's easy for me to, get, to, to, to lose that burden, to lose that passion, because all of a sudden I have to think about things like copier contracts and, and, and leases and copy machines that break down. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know, I, 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 the, the other week I was working all, all this stuff. I was like, <laughs> this is just so unspiritual. You know, it's, it's just, I mean, but it's stuff that you have to do. And I, I get that, but it's sometimes it's like, oh, yeah. Remember when I would drive on this island and my, uh, my, my heart would just do weird things? Because I felt a call to this place. When's the last time that you felt a burden? And you may be saying, you may be watching online, you may be here today, and you may say, Sean, I've never really had that then I ask you to pray. I ask you to pray, Lord, make me hurt for the things that hurt you. Make me cry out for the things that, 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 that affect you, God. God, make, make my heart love the things that you love. In other words, God, give me a burden, a bold burden. I want to challenge all of us not to throw our lives away on the latest version of the American dream or financial security, early retirement. <laughs> I saw someone the other day, um, they retired and, and they're, they're living in you know, this nice house that they had saved up their whole life for and they have the cool little, uh, they, they have the cool little uh, fire pit in the backyard and it's like you know, just straight out of you know, better homes and gardens. I mean, it was amazing. And it seems like every post, every other post at least, is them pining for the good old days. I'm like, that's a messed up life. That you spend all your time, all your money, everything, waiting to retire. And then when you retire, you do nothing but pine for the old days. And then you're going to die and you're going to be on your deathbed and go, well, dang, I spent all my time in this weird cycle. I... I think there's a better plan for our life. I think there's a better plan for what God's created you to do, and that's to spend your life on a purpose that lasts, to see His will done. To develop a bold burden, a burden for kingdom things, a burden for, for hearts, a burden for souls, a burden for those, the least of these, a burden for, for what, for, for the, the broken, the brokenhearted, whatever. So that on your deathbed, you're not like saying, I spent my whole life to get this house, and when I got in the house, I spent my whole, the rest of my life wishing I was back in my younger days. I'd rather on my deathbed say, man, I left it all out on the field. I did whatever I could to help as many people as I could. Ask God to give you a burden for His people, a vision for His plans, and a commitment 
to his purpose. And then after you pray, we come to the table every week and I think about that early church. I think about when you talk about a bold burden, you have this ragtag group of people. And when Jesus held up the the bread and held up the wine and he said, this is my body and this is my blood broken and spilled for you. When you take this and you eat and you drink, remember me. We come together every week and we remember what Jesus did for us. And that, through the Holy Spirit and through that remembrance, gives us the power and the boldness to go out and to show that love for others. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day. I thank you for your word and I thank you for the book of Nehemiah. I thank you for the recognition that sometimes we hear something that we just can't shake. Lord, I pray that you will give us each a burden. Individually crafted to our skills, to our spiritual gifts, to our passions. May we have the courage to act on it. Today, Lord, we remember what you've done for us on the cross. We remember what you've done for us and that that sacrificial love that you've given us. May we, in turn, give it to others. We come and we receive the bread. We receive the juice as we remember what you've done.